0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up.
1: Really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Hopefully you know by now we are in our six year-end specials for the best, the worst, the most, the least of 2021 Politically, so we have one more to go, which, if you look at the calendar, suggests that our last of these year-end editions will be on the last day of the year. Tomorrow, New Year's Eve, we'll be looking at our most prestigious awards, the Person of the Year, the Turncoat of the Year, and our Fearless Predictions for 2022. Yesterday, of course, we looked at Best Idea, Worst Idea, and Boldest Tactics of uh, 2021. And as we advertised at the end of yesterday's podcast, today we're focusing on the media. All year long, we've been harping on the media for so many different things—omission, commission, bias—and once in a while, they get some stuff right. Uh, Jim, let's start with the most over-reported story of 2021.
0: You know, Greg, before we started taping, you and I were saying how certain categories—you just—you find a million things come to mind at once, and there's a ton. And then for other ones, you feel like you really have to, you know, scrounge and think about it and try to remember the past year. For a lot of years, following the news kind of felt like trying to drink from a fire hose. There's just a ton coming at you every day. And a lot of times, you're like, well, actually, if you think about it. in the grand scheme of things, in the long run, was that story as consequential as it seems? So I, I guess on paper what I'm about to say, it was consequential. What was striking about it was that it was something that did not change. and yet every day, the lack of change was treated as something that was rather breathless. In other words, it felt like at least once a week, if not, you know, more often, you got some sort of headline, either at CNN or Politico or any publication that covered Capitol Hill. Boy, well, there's a Freudian slip. <laughs> Capitol Hill covered Congress, covered the Senate. Would ask, you know, in, in you know dramatic tones, has West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin changed his mind yet? I'm just getting an update from uh, Manu Raju on the Hill no no he has not he has the exact same position he said yesterday we will keep you abreast of this breaking story you know this just handed to me general Francisco Franco is still dead <laughs> um I'm not going to say that Bill back better was not an important story it was the centerpiece of a big part of the Democrats legislative agenda they weren't far from passing it but in the end it was too big for Joe Manchin he was worried about uh inflation he was worried about spending he was much more interested in passing the infrastructure bill which did pass and he didn't like what he saw in the Build Back Better bill, and it just you know they felt like it was over and over. has he changed his mind yet? No. Has he changed his mind yet? No. It just went over and over again. So I kind of feel like you know, one, if Joe Manchin changes his mind, he'll tell us. You don't need to ask him every single day. Um, so my my sense is that that you know, while legitimate in the abstract, turned into almost a funny obsession of Capitol Hill reporters uh, waiting for a change that was never going to come. Much like Godot.
1: Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, both him and cinema, uh, the media just basically cheerleaders on these stories. It's not that they're just intrigued by the process; they're cheerleaders for the Democratic Party. A lot of them, and so the fact that uh, these two are standing in the way of filibuster reform, or in the case of Mansion, uh, very difficult to get on board with the with the reconciliation package, and cinema too, for some to some extent. Uh, that's frustrating to them, and so the goal is to to get them turned so we can get this great achievement. Uh, if it was the, the Republicans and there was a Republican holdout, you know, think about the times that John McCain turned thumbs down on, on reform. That wasn't this uh, drama. It was it was bas- it was basically look at John McCain standing strong, and Joe Manchin is uh he's a stick in the mud. Why is he doing this to his party? Uh, you know, uh, so depending on who the holdout is, how can
0: they- one senator stop an entire presidential? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's one senator. It's just one. It's, it's totally not the 50 others who also oppose it.
1: Yes, yes. And that's how you get not only uh, op-eds on why we have to kill the filibuster, which was absolutely essential to keep when Republicans had control, but why we have to do away with the Senate, you know, because that's not fair. How many times do you get the, do you know the difference in population between California and Wyoming? Yeah, mm. I do. Good choice. Very good choice. Mine is also on a consequential topic, but it drives me crazy. And that is the breathless coverage of Absolutely every comment ever uttered by Dr. Anthony Fauci, whether it's related to a major piece of breaking news or it just happens to be on talking about, uh, you know, what what should you do over holiday travel? How do we get to the point where where a government uh, employee is telling us whether or not we can spend holidays with our families? Uh, so that's part of it. But from the very get go, uh, even before we had all the lockdowns and stuff in the early part of 2020 to every You know, appearance at the White House briefing room to every interview on TV. Uh, You know, it's just absolutely breathless coverage. And in the first few weeks, you know, we're trying to figure it all out and we're trying to hear from as many uh, experts as possible. And then um, all of a sudden he's the oracle on absolutely every facet of uh, American life. Um, I think he lost a lot of traction with... uh, Me, certainly, and probably others, when he did not uh, discourage people from gathering in massive numbers uh, for the Black Lives Matter protests last summer. And he did not sign the letters saying they were more important than the the pandemic. (laughs) So he deserves a little bit of credit for that. But the media has, uh, you know, basically treated Dr. Fauci like he uh, can do no wrong, even though sometimes the pronouncements change. Uh, But nonetheless, I don't have a lot to say on this. It's just that uh, every time he appears on TV... Everybody on social media is is rushing to get a clip out of, of Dr. Fauci saying this, that, and the other thing. Whether it's masks, vaccinations, travel, other restrictions, can we open up? Omicron, whatever. Uh, he is uh, he is treated as an as an oracle, and uh, he's kind of a political pinata now for the for the more liberal leaning organizations. Uh, he's he's speaking absolute unchallengeable truth, and uh, for the right, it's <laughs> they're just going to bash him from stem to stern. So uh, I feel like. Um, He's overexposed. And uh, people treat pretty much everything he says with way too much significance.
0: You know, Greg, I was going to say, okay, yeah, maybe Fauci is the more uh, an overexposed figure. But then again, if he is changing his message from what he said before, then it is news. The problem is that he's always changing his message. (laughs) Oh, I got to tell you, Omicron's looking really bad. Batten down the hatches. Don't leave your house. Oh, You know what? Actually, I just got some new studies. Omicron doesn't look that bad. Go ahead, cough at each other's faces. Be my guest.
1: (laughs) No, that's uh, that's exactly right. An exaggeration. (laughs) everyone listening up. He's never actually encouraged people to cough in anyone's face. That is true. So, if you're exhausted, if you're worn out by uh, all the breathless coverage of either Fauci or Mansion or political developments, Christian Cinema, get some rest. Do it over the holidays cuz you know the media is going to whip it all back up, uh, you know, at the start of the new year. It's a midterm election year, so it's going to be even more intense probably. Get some MyPillow products for yourself, for those that you love, and make sure that uh, everyone has a gift that they love. I love the MyPillow sheets, the towels, the slippers, the pillows themselves. And uh, it's also a good place to go if you want to get your stuff quickly. No supply chain issues with uh, MyPillow. They make all their stuff right here in the U.S. Everything is in stock, no back orders, and no delayed shipping.
0: Because the MyPillow is made 100% right here in the United States, and they have built a huge inventory to ensure their customers have gifts for everyone, even if the holidays have passed, there are no supply chain issues. There are no delays and there is no backlog. They have full stock on all items in their website. Everything from the MyPillows at the lowest price ever to the sheets, to the slippers, to the robes, and now cardigans. They're all in stock and they're ready to ship fast. My Pillow is your one-stop shop for everyone on your list.
1: And all my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Special. Don't forget that part. And then get specials like Buy One, Get One on Giza Dream Sheets or the lowest price ever on the MyPillow Premiums when you use the promo code MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. Do not miss this sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with mypillow.com. All right, Jim. Overreported is in the books. What about underreported story of 2021?
0: You know, we try to shake it up, but uh, I don't think it will shock listeners that if I have my first back to back year winner of most <laughs> underreported story, Greg, I don't know if you noticed, a lot of suspicious things happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology <laughs> way back in 2019. We, okay, the credit word is due there was a point in late spring i think there were a couple factors to this but i think a big one was the wall street journal reporting that three researchers at the wuhan institute of virology all became sick with flu-like symptoms in late fall 2019. Um, they went to the hospital i've heard some people argue about how important that was i think probably the most really intriguing thing i heard was from josh rogan uh of the washington post who said that uh one of the the according to the information he had seen these three people lost their sense of smell which oh by the way just happens to be one of the symptoms of covid19 now you can have that from other viruses flu stuff like that it can happen but boy you got those three guys getting sick who oh by the way worked on the bats worked on gain-of-function research on viruses found in, in bats and then sometime in late November, 2019, certainly by early December, 2019, this new virus appeared in Wuhan, China, not too far from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and set off a global pandemic. Now, does that 100% proof that this is a result of a lab leak? No, and I think probably even to this date, the one thing that makes me say, well, there's a slim possibility of it being a, a natural uh, zoonotic sp- sp- spillover. The idea that somebody at a wet market, you know, I, I think we can eliminate the, the bat soup jokes you started seeing, but the idea that it gets into a civet cat or something like that, some other mammal, and then they somebody consumes the mammal or they're around the mammal and the virus gets into them is that I don't think the Chinese government is any more eager to admit that it came from a wet market than they are to admitting it came from a la, uh, laboratory. So I suppose it's possible that there's some evidence out there that really does point in the direction of a lab leak. And the Chinese government doesn't want anybody to see it because if it did, the whole world would say you got to shut down the wet markets. You got this; it's too it's too risky. It's too unsafe. People were warning about this like five, six, ten years ago. You got to shut them down. China doesn't want to do that, so they just want to pretend, hope that it just remains an eternal mystery and never give the World Health Organization or anybody else any access. Uh, I've written about this month after month, uh, and you know, to me, the series of coincidences you have to believe that this virus just spontaneously appeared right outside one of the three facilities in the world that was doing gain of function research on bat coronaviruses is just, the odds are just too astronomical. And even if you didn't buy into that, even if you look at it and you're still not convinced it's allowed, fine. What is absolutely indisputable, I've written about this both in the early days of the pandemic and just earlier this month, the Chinese government up until January 21st was insisting to the world, this is not contagious. We have no sign, we have seen no evidence of human to human transmission. Now doctors were catching it from their patients. Now anywhere from three weeks to six weeks earlier it was pretty clear this thing is spreading from human beings. Robert Redfield, the director of the CDC at the time is calling up his counterpart, George Gao and saying, I'm looking at these numbers, you got family numbers. You, all three family members went to the, the, the wet market and all of them petted the same animal and that's where they got it? You really think so? At that point, the Chinese CDC was saying, oh yes, yes we do. There's no evidence of it spreading amongst people. Now at this exact same time, the Chinese government was buying up all the personal protective equipment they could, including every N- uh, N95 masks they could find. And oh, by the way, you may remember watching the video, they built a, a huge hospital in 10 days. But at the same time, they're saying to the world, we're not worried about this, it's not contagious the actions of the Chinese government are why your life has been turned upside down for the past two years. And I cannot understand why the Biden administration isn't beating the drum on this every single day. They say they wanna build a big anti a big coalition to counter the, way, the, the uh, growth and the aggression of China. This seems like pretty good solid evidence. This seems like a good real good reason to get uh, every Asian country, every European country, every country in the world say, hey, China did this to you. Even if it was natural, even if it wasn't a lab leak, and oh, by the way, I think it was, They still are, you are in this mess because it would have mattered the most when we had the best chance of holding this in. When humanity had one chance to avoid this from going, they chose to lie to you. They chose to lie to the world. They protected themselves and let everybody else die. Planes kept going out of Wuhan until January 23rd. That's the situation we're in. Even if this was front, front page of the New York Times every single day, I don't think they would have gotten enough coverage. This is the crime of the century. We're only like, you know, 21 years into it so far, but uh, this is a phenomenal jaw dropping. The scale of it is hard to get your head your head around. I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't been covered as much as it should be. But anyway, um, that's my nomination for the most underreported story of 2021.
1: Right. Jim, I think that's an excellent choice. Uh, Obviously, it's had global implications more than any other story. And the fact that there's been no condemnation of China or very little from the United States or most of the mainstream media on that issue is staggering. I think I'm going to add one more uh, caveat to that, though. I think a lot of the major mainstream news outlets are owned by major corporations with business in China, and so they see it as a major conflict of interest. I don't know if orders are coming down. I feel like most journalists would rebel against that if they were told not to cover it or not to cover it in a certain way. But I I feel like, you know, much like the NBA, uh, we got a lot at stake here, so let's not be too crazy uh, in how we cover this. Any accuracy there?
0: I would not be surprised if the institutions that have the parent companies that have the most large investments in China are really reluctant to report anything that would constitute pouring gasoline on the fire of U.S.-China tensions. The other thing that I think is a somewhat more sympathetic line of reasoning, although I don't think in, in the end it still amounts to lying, in the end it still amounts to trying to cover up the truth. Sometimes you'll see people come this blunt, this direct about it. I think it was a letter writer, I think a paper in California who said, look, if it's a lab leak, then those crazy Republicans are going to start a war with China. It'll go nuclear and the whole world gets destroyed. Now, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think anybody wants nuclear war, but I do think it's perfectly natural to want accountability for China. But if you believe that coming out and saying, let's assume, you know, someone finds indisputable 100% evidence, yes, this was a lab leak. If you believe that announcing that to the world is going to lead to global nuclear war, then I can understand why you'd be afraid to say it. I can understand why you'd want to avert your eyes. I can understand why you want to say, well, the real problem is Donald Trump and the things that he's saying. So I think that's a factor in it. And here's the thing I, I above the belief that truth, no matter how bad it is, no matter how ugly it is, no matter how scary it is, is better for you than a lie. A lot of people, I think, think the other way. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are like, no, no, no. Uh, you know, the truth is is really good could lead to, you know, a permanent ending of, of, you know, U.S.-China relations could lead to war or also it could jeopardize all of our profits in China. And that's really bad, too got to keep selling those NBA bobbleheads over
1: there oh it's disgusting yeah this is the this is the category where I had so many options China in multiple facets that uh, was certainly one of them uh, I feel like monoclonal antibodies and their success did not get as much coverage as you would have thought mm. uh, anything involving Hunter Biden uh, there's always the media covering a story intensely for a couple of days and then pretending it never existed like the protests in Cuba well, that just kind of mm. evaporated check the box journalism <laughs> yes exactly but the one I'm gonna go with uh, actually happened. Uh, last month, and it got a little bit of attention, but given the significance of it, I'm staggered that it didn't get more. Uh, this is from CNN. America's drug epidemic is the deadliest it has ever been, new federal data mm. suggests. More than 100,000 people died of drug overdoses in the United States during the 12-month period ending April 2021, according to provisional data published Wednesday, this is last month though, by the U.S. Center for Disease Control. That's a new record. You know, given the opioid crisis we've had for the last decade or even more, a new record with overdose deaths jumping 28.5% from the period a year earlier and nearly doubling over the past five years. And I'm sure there are factors related to People being cooped up, people losing their jobs and, and you know, seeking pharmacological uh, relief from some of the depression or whatever that they're facing. This is a massive public health crisis. Uh, and I know we've got another public health crisis going on right now. But the fact that that just basically got a one day blip, uh, if that, on some uh, media platforms, is is shocking to me.
0: You know, that's a excellent choice, Greg. And, you know, it's going to seem like a bitter humor, as I observe You'd think how it'd been in recent years, it'd be really tough to top the record for right. overdoses and deaths and all that kind of stuff. And yet somehow we managed to do it, America. Yeah. So there A-
1: we are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely horrific. Uh, opioids continue to be the driving cause of the overdoses. Uh, synthetic opioids, primarily fentanyl, caused nearly two-thirds of all drug overdose deaths, 64% in that 12-month period, up from 49% the year before. But uh, You know, you could recite the statistics all day. We've got a crisis in this area in many different parts of the country. And, uh, you know, we should be able to uh, chew gum and walk at the same time. And we have to. We have to. We're losing too many young people. All right, Jim, on to uh, much happier things. The best story of 2021.
0: You and I always want to serve up three good martinis every day and three bits of good news for conservatives. And it's not always the case. In fact, it very rarely is the case. And very often we've got some bad ones, very often we've got some crazy ones. As I look at where we are as 2021 comes to a close, we are in better shape than we were in 2020. I, I understand if you're you know, like, oh, Jim, Biden's the president, I get that, you know. Economy's lousy, inflation's crazy. You probably had to sell a kidney on the black market to fill up your tank with gas last week. Um, but in the end, between the vaccines, between the treatments and between natural immunity, we're in better shape with this uh, pandemic than we were a year ago, and that's a big one. If you think about it, you know, hopefully you got a chance to travel some this year. Hopefully you got together to have parties with people this year, you know, not just the backyard barbecues and all that stuff. Hopefully you're not really socially distancing. Hopefully you're able to, you know, get together with your family and hug around Thanksgiving and ho- hug around the holidays. And hopefully you got a chance to go out and have some parties, kids have sports. Most kids kids are in school, you know, not thrilled about the masking policies. and. Some of them still have weird policies at lunch, having them all facing in one direction or something like that. Look, like it's not we're not, ba- I'm just not back. I'm not saying that. But you look at where we are in December 2021 and where we were in December 2020. Or I don't know about you guys. My kids were still months away from going back to school. Uh, you know, Businesses have started to open. We are well along the road to recovery from this awful pandemic that was inflicted upon us. By the Chinese government, as I emphasized in the last Martini. Um, But nonetheless, we're in a better shape than we were. And I kind of feel like despite all the frustrations, despite all the setbacks, despite all the million ways the news can drive us crazy all year, we are still lucky to be here. We are blessed to be here. And I believe the best days are still coming. So that's my best story for 2021. We are gradually defeating COVID-19.
1: Jim, I completely uh, agree that we are in a much better position regarding COVID than we were a year ago. The Biden administration's you know, we're all going to die this winter if you're not uh, vaccinated. Uh, <laughs> warnings notwithstanding, but, uh, you know, things are clearly more open. And I think as we uh, face this uh, latest wave, the uh, the instinct to shut down, while some have given into it, I think more are are holding their powder dry. And hopefully uh, the idea of keeping things as normal as possible will prevail here. We'll see what happens after the holiday break at schools and so forth. But, you um, Jim, in terms of my idea of the year, and I wavered on this idea back and forth in a number of different ways, but I want to go back to Afghanistan because there's not a lot good that happened in Afghanistan this year, in addition to the Taliban taking over, the horrifically incompetent withdrawal. You know, now we've got worries that half the population's in danger of starvation this winter. But in the midst of all that horrible news in August was an amazing bright light special forces veterans in particular but even veterans beyond that and others who you know are just in the know reporters and so forth who developed relationships with afghan interpreters afghan security personnel who who worked alongside them afghan military who worked alongside them they got messages talk uh, of these people telling them about all the problems that were happening with the advances the taliban were making and it doesn't look like uh, things are going to hold out uh, the uh, collapse happened quickly by Biden administration standards, even though they they actually knew it was coming. But uh, these special operations veterans were getting these messages before uh, Kabul actually fell. And once it did, they knew they only had a couple of weeks to act. They put together this ad hoc network, which is just amazing. They called it the Pineapple Express, and they coordinated. Uh, they they built this network with all their contacts in Afghanistan and getting these key personnel from point to point to point. It was kind of like an underground railroad situation. One of the special ops figures had said it was kind of developed along the same lines as Harriet Tubman's underground railroad. Get them from one safe house to the next safe house to the next safe house, and then they worked to deal with the 82nd Airborne at the Kabul airport. That away from the gates where all the the masses were teeming, there was a little bit of a hole in the fence, in the wall. And at night, under the cover of darkness and with flashlights uh, showing the pineapple, uh, they snuck these people in small groups through the wall, small groups through the wall, small groups through the wall. And by the, the time things were done... Hundreds, if not more, uh, had finally gotten onto those flights. And since the U.S. military left, the efforts go on. It, it gets a lot harder, especially with no ability to get papers for these folks inside Afghanistan. Uh, but that has not stopped efforts to get folks out through Pakistan and uh, and other means. So when things look the most dire, the people we rely on to get impossible things done got it done again. So I think that the Pineapple Express was not only an encouraging story when we needed it most, but a, a great example of the integrity of our armed forces and the ingenuity of the American people. Phenomenal.
0: Greg, that is an excellent selection.
1: Fantastic. Well, Jim... Uh, tomorrow is our final edition of the three martini lunch for the year, person of the year, turncoat of the year, and our fearless predictions for 2022. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us as well. Always grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday, New Year's Eve, for the final Three Martini Lunch of 2021.